Good worship. We appreciate all of our, our worship team does for us in worship. We're missing some of their musicians. Ekpays are up in New York, and Nikolai is traveling for work. He's out in Texas. But they, uh, they did a great job. We appreciate them with all that. We're going to be over in the book of Genesis today uh, in a couple of different chapters. We're going to be looking at a particular character that maybe we don't spend a whole lot of time looking at, but he's worthwhile looking for what we are into in this series. So we're going to be over in Genesis. We're going to start off in chapter 25. There was one fellow who was talking to his neighbor about a speaker that he had heard the night before, and he told him that uh, he was very impressed with something in particular that he had said. The speaker had said this, all the world's problems could be summed up into two words, ignorance and apathy. So he asked his friend, he says, what do you think about that? And his friend replied, I really don't know, and I really don't care. (laughs) Ignorance and apathy. Yep. How many know we we got a lot of that going on? See, if we're ignorant about things, and if we don't really care about things, then we're not giving God a whole lot to work with. God needs something to work with. If we're going to build something, we got to get some materials. If we're going to do something, we got to get the stuff that we need to do it. Sometimes we need money. Sometimes we need supplies. Sometimes we need help. Sometimes we need laborers. There's different things that we need, but in order to get some things done, we need something. And God needs something. If he wants to get something done in your life and you want him to get something done in your life, he needs us to give him some things. We looked at before that uh, the rich young ruler had come up to Jesus and he said, what do I lack? What do I still need to do? Jesus gave him a list. You know, they, we spent some time on that, looking at what's going on in there. But as we looked at what he had, we saw that there's two different things that we need to do. First off, there's some things we need to give up for God, and then there's some things that we need to let go. But the things that we give up for God are always things that God has blessed us with. You do not let go of the blessings of God. God will will ask us sometimes to take some of those things that he has blessed us with. What he has blessed us with is something that we we are rightfully allowed to have. That God has given to us and they are ours. They belong to us. You know, when you bring the tithe before God, it's because you bring the tithe because the money you have, it's not God's. It's yours. Mm -hmm. If it was God's, then you wouldn't be bringing him a tenth of what was yours. Isn't that right? So the money that you have, you know, super spiritual people, they get out there and say, well, everything I have is God's. No, it's not. It's yours. <laughs> God has given it to you. It is in your pocket. It's in your control. And then we choose to give him some of what we have. We bless him. He's blessed us, and we give things back to him. But there are some things that we have in our life that we shouldn't have. And we don't give them up to God. Because we're not a blessing from God. There's something that we took that we shouldn't have. We need to let some of those things go. We need to let all of them go, actually. But we went over that difference between giving things up and letting things go. That there are sometimes some things that we have that God says, give that back to me and just watch what I do with it. And we saw some people in the Word. Abraham had a son, his only son. And God says, give that up to me and watch what I do. Sometimes Israel was said, give that up to me and watch what I do with it. But you got to give it up first. There are sometimes 
this in our life that when we want to move to the next level, God says, I need you to give something up. I need you to sow this. I need you to put this out here and, and then just watch what I do with it. I'm going to do some great things with it, but you got to watch. Abraham, when he was in his home country, what did God say? Get up from your country, from your kinsmen, from your family, and go to a land that you don't know, but a land that I've, to I've told you about, and it's going to be yours. Sometimes we've got to give some things up for God. We're going to look at a character here that all of us know, but we don't always study him a whole lot because his brother tends to be a lot more fascinating. But in Genesis chapter 25 and verse 20, Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah as wife. How many are still single and uh, not quite 40? You're okay. Because here's Isaac, 40 years old when he took Rebekah as, as wife. The daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Syrian. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Now if we read that, I read that to you, the New King James, and usually the New King James gets a lot of things right. They've got this one wrong. Because you read that, it says, now Isaac pleaded. How many times have we been looking at the Word of God to find out we don't plead, we don't beg to get things from God. We get God's things from God from faith, believing. We've got to have faith, we've got to have belief. But um, that's, they kind of translate this a little poorly here. I'm not sure if this is one of those words that decided to use something different just to be a little unique. But the Hebrew, and I'm not a Hebrew scholar, I don't really want to be. I don't like Hebrew. I like Greek. Different language. But um, there are people out there who, who are skilled at this. And there is a definition of this particular word that is used. I put in your outline. It means to burn incense and worship or to intercede, entreat, or to pray for, not plead. If you go to the King James Bible, it said, And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife. If you go to the New Century Bible, it says, So Isaac prayed to the Lord for her, not pleaded. So we just want to make that clear. Isaac did not plead. Oh, Lord, please, please do this for me. I'm, I'm a good guy. I love you. I'm going to church and all that sort of stuff. No, I didn't do that. But the children struggled together within her. So she got pregnant, and the children are struggling together with her. And she said, if all is well, why am I like this? What she is saying is this. If everything is good with this pregnancy, why is it going on like this? Now, she's not been pregnant before. How many of y'all know, woman, you know, the first pregnancy, you learn some stuff. Second one, your old hat, you know, you kind of have it down, you got, got some things. But the first one, you're learning some things, you're not quite knowing what's going on. But people have told you stuff, and I'm sure she went and talked to some people and said, all right, it's, it's like this. Boy, it was never like that for me. Really? It's, it's like that? They're doing what? Well, it's, and so she determined that what's going on inside of her womb is not quite normal. They were struggling together. They were wrestling <laughs> I, I know what the, I know. I've heard women complain about or, or, or talk about when the baby's kicking, and as the baby gets bigger, sometimes it gets a little bit more painful. But can you imagine having two in there wrestling? <laughs> I don't know what that would be like. But anyway, they were struggling in the womb, and they struggled out of the womb as well. So they got this struggle going on, and these two were struggling within. The two struggled so much in her that she thought something was wrong. The New Century Version puts it this way. 
While she was pregnant, the baby struggled inside her. And she asked, why is this happening to me? Now look at this. Then she went to get an answer from God or from the Lord. She, she said, something's going on. Something is different. I'm going to ask God what it is. So she went to get an answer from the Lord. Verse 23. And the Lord said to her, who'd she say it to? Who went to seek the Lord? She did. So where, where's her husband? He's not there. Does God speak to her husband about this? No. Who gets the word? That's important to know. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two people shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other and the older shall serve the younger. So she said, I know something is unique. Something is going on. Something is happening. It's not normal for pregnancy. And so she went to ask God about it, and God had the answer the whole time. But when she came to ask God is when God came and told her. Now, we've talked about her husband before, Isaac. Isaac is kind of the most blasé Bible character that you will find. He just, you talk about apathy. That's kind of what Isaac is like. He is, uh, that's why it's not a whole lot about him. A whole lot about his dad, a whole lot about his son. Not a whole lot about Isaac. Most mention he gets in the Word of God is when his, his uh, father and his son are talked about. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You find that more than anything else talked about him. So he's not there. He's not inquiring of God. She probably comes to him and asks him some things. He says, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. So she gets frustrated with it. She goes and asks the Lord. And so the Lord said to her, she is the one who heard this word, not Isaac. Isaac may have heard about this word. She may have come to Isaac and said, this is what the Lord told me. But Isaac does not hear this word. She does. Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. Do you remember when this verse comes into play in the two of these boys' lives? Do you remember that Isaac did not go along with it? Remember when he's on his deathbed and he tells Esau, going out there and hunt, I'm going to bless you. What's he going to do? He is going to put a blessing on the older, ignoring the word that came from God. Didn't he? Because the word didn't come to him. It came to his wife. Why didn't the word come to him? Because he didn't ask. He, didn't, he has a lot of apathy with him. There's just not a whole lot going on with, with, the, with the guy. But she heard... She got the word. So two nations, two groups, and we're going to find out they go in two directions. Verse 24, so when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed, there were twins in her womb, and the first came out red. He was like a hairy garment all over. So they called his name Esau. Imagine the baby coming out and just hair everywhere. I've heard people uh, uh, born like that. And it's okay, I guess, if you're a guy. All right? <laughs> They're allowed to have hair. So they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out, and his hand took hold of Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. Now, think about this. I want you to put, these in, put yourself into these two parents' positions. Birth of the boys, twins come out. We got boys that are, that are coming out. Isaac is excited. I got two boys. What is his wife saying? I think she already kind of knew this. Isaac, what did his eyes fasten on the older boy? 
because this is where everything comes from, especially for this, uh, this group of people. Everything comes to the older boy. His eyes fasten on, on that one, but she's got the word. Where do her eyes fix? On the younger. She says, you know, she loves them both, <laughs> obviously, but the younger one. This is the one who's going to be greater. This is the one who's going to have the greater people. She knew that there were two different nations, two different peoples, and that one was going to be greater than the other. So the boys grew as boys do. And Esau was a skillful hunter. He was not just a hunter. He was a skillful one. He was very good at hunting. Now, what does a hunter do? Hunter does one thing. I don't care what he's doing, what kind of things he's hunting. He, hunter does one thing. Catches and kills. So when it says he became a skillful hunter, he is very skillful at catching. Because you can't kill until you catch them. Right? <laughs> you got to catch them. You got to find out where they are. And then you got to kill them. And he's very good at it. You imagine having a brother who's mad at you who is very good at catching and killing. Animals that are faster than you. Animals that are more skilled at hiding than you are. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's got to be going through your mind. Don't get this guy mad. He is not just a hunter. He's a skillful one. Have you ever gone fishing? There's a difference between a, fisher, a fisherman and a skillful fisherman. And then, of course, the amateurs are just going out there. I'm nothing more than an amateur. I don't consider myself to have any talent in fishing at all, except once in a while I'll take a, a rod on out there, throw, put something on the end of it, and see what happens. But I, I think I may have shared this story with you. I did run across one person who was a skillful fisherman. I have never seen a person this skillful at fishing ever in my life. This guy was just... He's on another level. I'm sure that there's other fishermen out there that are better than him. Emery watched that Jeremy Wade guy on TV. No idea who that is. Uh, uh, what's, the, what's the thing called? River Monsters. You don't like River Monsters? <coughs> I like River Monsters. You know, they're catching these big, nasty things that are just doing, wreaking all kinds of havoc in villages and stuff like that. So Christian and I, we like to watch it. No one else in the family watches the thing, but we like to watch it. And this guy, he gets into stuff. He catches stuff. He's, he, he is a, if I met him, he would probably be better than the guy I'm telling you about. But I've never met Jeremy Wade, so I don't know. But we were at camp. I was a little kid, and we were at these camps, CYC camp, and we would go out to this, this uh, we had a lake and a pond. Truthfully, they were both ponds, but one was bigger than the other. We called one a lake. And that's just how it was. And so they would put these pickerel in there, and we would go fishing for them. And so we'd be out there fishing, and this one guy this one year, he just was so good. We were out, I was out in the boat with him, and he just was looking around. He says, you know what? It looks like there's fish over there. And he threw his line in. And he caught this little six-inch, five- or six-inch pickerel. He was not happy with that. Most of us would be glad that just anything bought the, bit the line. He was not happy with that, and he didn't even take the thing off the hook. He threw the thing back in with the little five- or six-inch fish, pulled it on in, and sure enough, a bigger pickerel bit the five- or six-inch one. And he pulled that one on in, and it was, a, it was a big one. One time, he was out there on the dock showing one of the, he was one of the counselors, he was showing one of the campers how to cast a, a lure into, and just showing him how to do it. And just in showing him how to do it, he caught a fish. Not only a fish, he caught the biggest pickerel that had ever been caught at the lake. It was a record-setting pickerel, and that was a problem because you're not supposed to fish off the dock. <laughs> Well, he wasn't fishing. He was teaching somebody how to fish. And in the process, he would catch a fish. He just caught so many fish. It just seemed like they just liked to bite his line and ignore all the rest of us. 
I'm sure that there was something to it that uh, he, he somehow had it, but he was a skillful fisherman. This guy is a skillful hunter. He knows how to catch, to kill, bring them home, eat them, get them all ready, whatever he had to do. So that's, this is what, how he grew up, and uh, his brother didn't grow up that way. He didn't do the hunting. We found out that you know, through the story, we find out that he is very good in the kitchen. That can kind of give you a little bit of an idea of where his skill set is. But his brother is very good at hunting. He's very good in the kitchen. Probably good at some other things too, but he, he knew his way around the, the kitchen. And Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, but Jacob was a mild man dwelling in tents. Now this verse tells us a whole lot about their upgrading. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. And, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Now, but is used to contrast something, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Isaac loved Esau because. You don't, need to, you don't need the rest of it. All you need to know is that Isaac loved Esau because. Now, look at Rachel. Rachel loved Jacob because he spent time with her in the kitchen. Now it's not there, is it? Rachel just loved Jacob. But Esau was loved by his father because. You want to know why Esau became such a skillful hunter? Because he saw the response he got from his dad. And so he would continue to go out there and find more, bigger game and better game. Because by doing so, he received love from his dad. You look at people that are brought up and are loved because they are something. Some uh, people grow up in a family and they are loved because they are a good student. They are loved because they do certain things. They play an instrument, whatever it might be. Don't ever love your kids because love them. Learn to, learn to do that. It causes problems here in this family. And it caused uh, problems for Esau and for Jacob. So this is the thing. This is one of the things that he lives under. He is always having to earn the love. If dad loves me because I bring him game, I have to keep going out and finding more game. I get, if I don't bring it home, I'm not going to get loved. So there were some struggles in life that they came to. And they struggled with each other. They struggled with the parents. Jacob was probably trying to get that love from his father, but he couldn't bring home game or he couldn't do anything that would cause his father to love him. Or at least outwardly that he would see it. Whereas Esau was. And so Jacob would see that Esau was loved because he would hunt. So he, he probably came bitter, could have become bitter at the hunting. Probably came bitter at the dad. There were some uh, rifts that were in this family. This is the kind of stuff that there was going on here. When we struggle in life, we can come out having built up our faith, our patience, our strength, our hope. Struggles in life are not meant to bring you down. They're meant to help you. When we struggle, the Word of God tells us in James, count it all joy, brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. So struggles are not to break us. They are not to bring us down. They are to help us. God doesn't send the struggle, but in the struggle, he shows us how to get better. Mm -hmm. And so our faith can grow when we struggle. Our patience can grow. Our strength can grow. We become stronger. The word of God tells us, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. How do you do that without going through some struggles? Our hope is developed. We, had, we developed the ability to hope in the midst of darkness. 
when we learn how to walk this way. But we can either go this way, we can go in the direction where we develop our faith, patience, strength, and hope, or we can do this. We can have a bad attitude. Didn't need to put a whole list there, just one thing, a bad attitude. Because if we don't go through our struggles and build up our faith, we develop a, a bad attitude. Can't believe God did this to me. How come I have to go through this? Nobody else has to go through this. God's putting me through. I don't like what God's doing to me. We develop a bad attitude. We could have developed faith, but we didn't. We developed a bad attitude. We could have developed patience, but we didn't. We developed a, how come I have to wait? How come it hasn't happened yet? Thought it would happen by now. That stuff doesn't work. We could have developed strength. We could have gotten stronger, but instead we didn't use the opportunity to get stronger. So we developed a bad attitude instead. Instead of having hope, we have despair. We developed a bad attitude. Have you run into people that have a bad attitude about life? There's no hope, there's no strength, there's no patience, there's no faith, there's just bad attitude. <laughs> That's all that there is. So Isaac loved Esau because, but Rebekah loved Jacob. We're going to go on down to Genesis chapter 26 and verse 34. You can read the whole rest of the story and see the things that are going on in between, but we're, kind of, we're looking at Esau. When Esau was 40 years old, he took as wives, what, what, what uh, age was his father when he got married? Is that a coincidence? 40 years old. He took as wives Judith, the daughter of Beri, the Hittite, and Basemath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. And they were a grief of mind to Isaac and Rebekah. In other words, they didn't like them. Now, take a look at one reason. You, there's, there's one word in there to tell you why they didn't like them. They were Hittites. They were of the people of the land. They were into idolatry. They were into bad stuff. Maybe they, maybe they came out of it when they married. But maybe not. Esau doesn't show us the kind of character that says, I'm going to get them out of this. We're going to, you know, missionary date or whatever it was that he was going to do. 40 years old, he took wives. He didn't take one. He took two. He got two wives. Now, this guy is always trying to get his dad's approval. And he's always going out there. You know, he's hunting, bringing home some game. So his dad loves him. And then he took the Hittite wives. Don't know if he took them both at the same time or uh, I don't know. I just know at 40 years old and he, he married two of them. And it was a grief to his parents. They didn't like it. Every time he's come, oh, Esau's coming back. He's got the wives with him. Oh, man. Can we, is there someplace we can go? We can go into town? <laughs> it was a grief to them. They didn't like this. Chapter 28, verse 6, Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away. We skipped over that whole story, but uh, we could spend time in it, but we're going to lose sight of Esau. We just want to focus in on Esau. The whole story was, you know, Jacob had uh, gotten word from his mom, look, Esau's going out, he's going to hunt some game, he's going to bring him back. You don't have a whole lot of time, but you got some time. So we're going to get you ready. And they got him ready, and they got Jacob. He got blessed. He got the blessing of his dad, and his dad gave him the entire blessing. He gave it all to him. Didn't care about the word that came from God. He gave the whole blessing to him. And uh, Esau didn't initiate that. Isaac did. Isaac calls him in and says, I'm going to die pretty soon. I want to give you the blessing. So going out there and hunt, get me something that I like. In other words, do what it is that causes me to love you. <laughs> Go out there and get me some game. Fix it up like I like. And 
Bring it on over here. So Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to pay down Aram to take himself a wife from there. The rest of the story was went like this. Esau came in, brought all the game to his dad, and his, his dad said, wait a minute, I just, blessed, I just blessed Esau. Who are you? I'm Esau. Oh, somebody deceived us. And they figured out what it was. And, and uh, so Esau is basically in tears. And he says, you, you must have left some kind of a blessing for Jacob. Whatever blessing you left for Jacob, give it to me. And he's basically saying, I didn't leave anything for Jacob. If you get to the words of his dad, he'll say, based, I'm, I'm summarizing it, but basically, I didn't leave a single blessing for Jacob. I gave every single blessing to you, to who I thought was you, which wasn't. He, he, there's got to be something, anything at all, just whatever you have. Just And he, so he spoke over him, but he didn't speak to him in the blessing. He spoke over him the fact that he was going to be serving his brother. He spoke to him what God had said when they came before they were out of the womb. And so Esau got up from there and he was mad. He was angry. And the word of God tells us that he took comfort in the fact that he said, dad's going to die soon. When dad dies and the time of mourning is over, I'm going to come and get him. I'm going to do some hunting myself. I'm going to hunt for something I want. I'm going to want I want me some Jacob. And so he was going around the house and he was okay. And his uh, the mom was looking and said, this, this isn't like Esau. He should be mad. What's, and he, she overheard him talking. I'm going to kill him. When dad's dead, I'm going to kill him. See how good that blessing is for him. And so then she told it to him. He says, well, we got to get you out of here. Because when dad goes, your, your time not going to be here much longer. And so she goes to the dad. He says, look, we don't want him to have a wife like Esau. Because they bring us grief. So we're going to send them back home to my place where I grew up. And we're going to have them take a wife from my family. And he says, all right, let's go ahead and do that. So he blessed them and he sent them off. And then we come up here in verse 6. And Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padan Aram to take himself a wife from there. And that as he blessed him, he gave him a charge saying, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. This is amazing to me. I don't know if you read this and it becomes as amazing to you. Isaac and Esau are supposedly tight. And it takes until this time for Esau to understand that his dad doesn't like Canaanite wives. Every time they walk in, they can sense in the air, mom and dad, they're kind of cold to my wives. It doesn't dawn on him until this time. Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to pay down around to take himself a wife from there, and that as he blessed him, he gave him a charge, saying, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan, and that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and had gone to pay down Aram. Also, Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan did not please his father Isaac. So now his eyes are open. Oh, I didn't see this before. He doesn't like my wives. Ah. So Esau went to Ishmael and took Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nabahath, to be his wife, in addition to the wives he had. I know how I'll fix this. I'll get another wife. I'll go get another wife, and this one will be related. This one will be in the family and won't be a Canaanite wife. And then dad will be happy. Then dad will be glad, and then dad will bless me with something. He wants a blessing from his dad. So, so Esau marries again, not based on a principle of what is right, but in hope of gaining favor. 
There are many people who do the right thing not based on the principle of what is right, but an effort to gain favor. You see this all the time. How about at work? The boss starts walking on down into the room. How many people start getting busy? Right? Why? They want favor. They want to be seen as busy. So they want favor from the boss. But there's other people in there who were just busy already. They were busy because of the principle of, I'm here to work. And they're getting work done. Not for the show. There are some people that just get into obedience for the show. That's what Esau is doing. Esau has learned that favorable actions produce favorable responses. That's what he's learned. And some Christians have learned this too. Not from God, but they've learned it in life. And they have this thing that favorable actions produce favorable responses. They also have the idea, you're probably more familiar with this one, disfavorable actions produce disfavorable responses. How many times have you heard Christians, when something bad happens, well, I wonder what I did to deserve that. I wonder what I did to deserve that. See, we're, we're conditioned on this. Favorable actions produce a favorable response. Disfavorable actions produce a disfavorable response. Instead of what we should learn, instead of actions based on beliefs, actions based on beliefs produce blessings. That's what we should be learning. Actions based on beliefs produce blessings. Not that because I do an action, I should get a result. The actions need to come from a belief. When we have a belief and we act on that belief, it produces things. Remember Mark eleven twenty three. 23? Whatsoever things you believe in your heart, we need to have that belief in our heart. And then what things we say, the actions come out of a belief. If we just have the actions and expect to produce a favorable result, we've learned it the wrong way. Actions based on beliefs produce blessings. It is far, put this in your outline. It is far easier to fall into bad attitudes than to develop good ones. It is far easier to fall into bad attitudes than to develop good ones, good attitudes. When actions that we judge as favorable do not produce favorable responses, we can take on some bad attitudes, can't we? But how come this happened? I did this. How come I got sick? I, I did this. How come, I didn't get, how come I didn't get a raise? I've been going to church. Right? Good actions should produce a... No, we've got to have actions based on beliefs that produce blessings. All right, all that was introduction. That's just an introduction to get us into what we're getting into, because what we're getting into here is in chapter 32. But you needed to know the history in order for this to make sense to you. Genesis chapter 32, verse 1. So Jacob went on his way. This is when he's leaving Laban. We went through, we skipped all the story of how the wages got changed. We skipped all the story about the marrying of the daughters and the, the things that went on there. So Jacob went on his way, and the angel of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's camp. And he called the name of the place Mahanaim. Then Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, to the country of Edom. 
And he commanded them, saying, Speak thus to my lord Esau. Thus your servant Jacob says, I have dwelt with Laban and stayed there until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male and female servants, and I have sent to tell my lord that I may find favor in your sight. So basically he's saying, I'm coming back down into Esau's territory, and I know how we left things. And um, I don't want to have that problem, so I want to go on down. Yeah, I just want to let them know, you know, I'm coming. I'm, I have all my own stuff. I don't need any of your stuff. And um, just want to come on down here and hoping that we can get along. Then the messengers returned to Jacob saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he also is coming to meet you and 400 men with him. Now, if that's all the messengers come back with, that can kind of get you a little nervous. You left on bad terms. You know that he's an expert hunter, and he's got 400 people with him. If you are a hunter, what kind of people do you attract? <laughs> right? You don't attract people who like to knit. They're good people, but that's not the kind of people that you're going to attract. You're going to attract people who like to be outside, handling the weapons, doing the stuff that hunters do. This is the kind of people you're going to attract. And so he knows 400. Why does he need to bring 400 men with him? And so your mind begins to do things, doesn't it? Wouldn't your mind begin to do things? You begin, what's the 400 guys for? Do I have 400 guys to meet up with his 400 guys? I mean, my 400 guys aren't hunters. His 400 guys are probably hunters. And my 400 guys, they're probably, if we have 400 guys, it's not going to be that many. I got a lot of kids and got some wives. I don't think they're going to be too much help. He's nervous. He's scared. Produces fear. Verse 7. So Jacob was greatly afraid. We're not just talking he was scared. We're not just talking he was afraid. We're talking about being greatly afraid. How many of you ever sat at home and watched a scary movie? You know, one of those mystery ones or just something that has some, some scare to it and you're just not sure. Remember when we were little and we would watch some of those scary movies and you, you hear the noises in the house that you never heard before. <laughs> Somebody's in the house. And you know, you become afraid. That's not greatly afraid. Greatly afraid is when you are in the house that's in the movie. <laughs> that's greatly afraid. Afraid is when you're in your house watching the people in the other house in the movie. That's afraid. But greatly afraid is when you are in that house. <laughs> that's, uh, that's fear. So Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. Can we use any more words to describe what he is? He's in here right now. And he divided the people that were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two companies. It is one thing to lead people. It's one thing to direct what needs to be done. It's another thing to do it when you are in great fear and distress. This is not an easy thing for Jacob to be doing. But he still does it. And he tries to keep his wits about him. And that makes sense of this. Let's do the best thing. The number one thing I want to do is protect my wives and my kids. Of course, as we go through the story, we're going to find out he wants to protect certain wives more than other wives. <laughs> that he wants to protect certain kids more than other kids. All right? So we, that is coming, but at least he wants to protect them. So uh, fear... And distress produces division. Fear and distress produces division. Isn't that so right? When we become fearful and distressed, it becomes every man for himself. 
we begin to divide. We begin to be suspicious of each other. Do you ever watch one of those scary movies and they're all in the house and somebody's in the house and things are happening that aren't supposed to be happening? And so all of a sudden, all the people in the house who were getting along so well and the movie began, now suddenly they don't trust anybody in the house. We watched uh, that movie that, um, uh, uh, what was it called? It was a funny movie. It's supposed to be a scary movie, but it was more funny than it was scary. Clue? Did you ever see the movie Clue? It was kind of funny. And in the, in the thing, you know, everybody was all, all together in the beginning. They didn't know anybody. That, but as the movie went on, they became more and more distrusting of each other. And accusations were made. And sometimes people would try and pair up. All right, well, we'll we can trust each other. Well, it's us against them. Fear and distress produces division. It's what our politicians seem to like to do anymore. Get us into fear and distress because they know it produces division. And if we are divided... We don't stand against the things that are being done. Don't give in to fear. Don't give in to distress. No matter what it is that they try and do, don't let yourself be sold in it. And certainly don't let yourself be divided by any group, by any category. Verse 8, And he said, If Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the other company which is left will escape. I'm not quite sure of understanding that because the 400 men could probably travel faster than any of his other group. So even if they got to the one and they killed all them, they could certainly catch up with the other group. And it's not like they're going to cover their tracks real well. Each group has a lot of people and a lot of animals to support them. Uh, you're not going to cover all their tracks. You're not going to have somebody going behind like they do in the movies and taking the branches and dusting down all the... Uh, that's not going to happen. You're just going to see, oh, there's like 4,000 footprints over here. Maybe they went this way. <laughs> I, I think just about anybody could track them. And so, you know, you just run the tracking over to this one and you get this group. And so I'm not sure how good his plan is, but this is the plan he came up with. <coughs> then Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your family and I will deal well with you. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant. For I have crossed over this Jordan with my staff and now have become two companies. It's a big statement for him. Because Jacob does not learn from his father or from his mother, the love that he has for him, does not learn that good actions produce a good response. He learns that no matter what it is I do, mom loved me. And he learned that about his father, God. And he says, I'm not worthy of the least of your mercies, but this is what you said to me. So even though I'm not worthy of it, I haven't done actions that would produce this kind of response. I thank you that I can count on it because your word said this. You told me to return to my country, to your family, and I will deal well with you. That's what you said. He's putting God in remembrance of his word. When you get into fear and distress, the best thing you can do is put God in remembrance of his word. Don't go to God and beg and plead. Don't go to God and try and sell him and all the stuff that you've done. Simply put God in remembrance of his word and chase fear and distress out. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant. For I have crossed over this Jordan with my staff, and now I have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau. For I fear him, lest he come and attack me and the mother, and the mother with the children. For you said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. 
So he puts God in remembrance of his word. He never says to God, you said this and you're not coming through. He never says anything to distrust. Israel in the wilderness, how many times did they just distrust what God said? He doesn't. He says, this is what you said. I came out here because you told me to leave where I was and to come on out here and that it would be well. That's what you said. Verse 13, so he lodged there the same night and took with him what, what he took, what came to his hand as a present from Esau, his brother. As a present for Esau, his brother. 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, and 20 rams, 30 milk camels with their colts, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 fowls. Then he delivered them to the hand of his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, Pass over before me and put some distance between successive droves. And he commanded the first one, saying, When Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, saying, To whom do you belong and where are you going? Whose are these in front of you? Then you shall say, They are your servant Jacob's. It is a present sent to my lord Esau. And behold, he also is behind us. So he took them all and divided them in different groups. He's like, here's the first present. Here's the second present. Here's the third present. Here's the fourth present. He's just going to bombard them with presents. And he gets impressed by, wow, look at all this stuff. That's pretty neat. And you come to this, another one. Another one. Another one. Wow. He's just hoping to just overwhelm him with gifts. We could have just done one big gift. No, we're doing a whole lot of smaller gifts. We think that that's better. But even the smaller gifts, I mean, this is a lot of stuff. And he's just giving, he's just blessing them out of his surplus. That's how rich he has become. Where do we leave off at? Verse 18, verse 19. So he commanded the second, the third, and all who followed the drove, saying, In this manner you shall speak to Esau when you find him. So he said to the first, he said to the second, he said to the third, and all who followed him. So we know that there was at least four groups that went out, and possibly more. And also say, Behold, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, I will appraise him with the present, I will appease him with the present that goes before me, and afterward I will see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present went on before, over before him, but he himself lodged that night in the camp, and he arose that night and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed over the ford of Jabbok. He took them, sent them over the brook, and sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the break of day. Now, we're not going to cover the wrestling match because that's another story. And our main focus is on Esau. So we don't get sidetracked here with Jacob. But this is what had gone on. And he divided all these things up. And he'd, he'd uh, done things in that way in verse 1 of chapter 33. Now, Jacob lifted his eyes and looked. And there Esau was coming with him were 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two maidservants. Now, look what he does. And he put the maidservants and their children in front. That's the concubines of the wives. The concubines, the servants of the wives. And he put the maidservants and their children in front, Leah and her children behind, and Rachel and Joseph last. <laughs> so the, uh, the ones that were the servants of his two wives, who he was given to have more children, he put them and all their kids up in the front. <laughs> Can you imagine being one of them kids? Dad put us... Why, why are we in the front, Dad? Well, this way, you know, if anybody dies, it's you guys. If we hear about it, we can all take off and go somewhere. And so he's in the middle. And then, in case, because we want to protect, the ones we really want to protect, Leah and Rachel. And the one we really want to protect out of that? Rachel. Rachel. She's at the end. 
<laughs> so he's got it grouped, and apparently they all go along with it. I think that part's amazing. They all go along with it. Then he crossed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And he lifted his eyes, and he saw the woman and the children and said, Who are these with you? So he said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the maids and servants came near, they and their children, and bowed down. And Leah also came near with her children, and they bowed down. Afterward, Joseph and Rachel came near, and they bowed down. And Esau said, What do you mean by all this company which I met? And he said, These are to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Now that tells us a whole lot about Esau. How did we leave Esau when Jacob and he parted? He's mad. He's going to kill him because Jacob got all the stuff. Jacob got all the blessing. He's upset. He is focused on what he has lost. And now we see a man who has no focus on that at all. His only focus, I, I got plenty. God has blessed me. I got plenty of stuff. Doesn't focus on all the past stuff that had gone on. He falls on his neck, hugs him, embraces him. Jacob didn't need to do all that sort of stuff. If you're Jacob, Jacob's probably thinking, man, I spent all that money. I sent all that stuff and I didn't have to. Man, why don't you just tell somebody, you know, you were coming and the things were good. You brought 400 men with you. And Jacob said, no, please, if I have found favor in your sight, then receive my present from my hand. And as much as I have seen your face as though I have seen the face of God and you were pleased with me. Wow. <laughs> He's speaking very nicely of him. Please take my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me because I have enough. So he urged him and he took it. Then Esau said, let us take our journey. Let us go and I will go before you. Now, what he's saying here is this. And all the stuff that's ahead of you in the land, I'm going to go ahead of you. And if there's anything out there that would try and hurt you, I'll take care of it. I've got 400 men with me and we will pave the way so that nothing surprises you. You just follow us and we'll take care of it. But Jacob said to him, my Lord knows that the children are weak and the flocks and herds which are nursing are with me. He didn't bring any of that stuff out with him. He just brought his 400 men. And if the men should drive them hard one day, all the flock will die. Please let my Lord go on ahead before his servants. I will lead on slowly at a pace which the livestock that can go before me and the children are able to endure until I come to my Lord in Seir. And Esau said, now let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. But he said, what need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. He's in a strange land, a strange name because it's been decades since he's been back here. It's been a long time. He worked seven years for the one wife, seven years for the other wife, and then he worked many more years for the flocks. So it's been a long time since he's back in here. He doesn't really know the area all that much. He doesn't know who's around, enemy-wise. But he says, no, you, you don't need to leave people with me to protect me. It's, there's no need for it. God sent me here. God said he would bless me. And God's for me, is what he's basically telling them. You can take your 400 men. I appreciate it. I really do. I appreciate you wanting to leave them here for me. But um, it's not necessary. So we find out in all this that Esau came out with his 400 men not to do his brother harm, but to protect them. Isn't that neat? He brought his 400. I need, I need 400 of you guys. Come on, we're all going out. My brother's coming. We want to make sure he gets here okay. 
where if anything comes up, I'm going to need you guys to fight. All right, yeah, we'll fight for your brother. And they all come along. That's amazing. And Jacob journeyed to Succoth, built himself a house, and made booths for his livestock. Therefore, the name of the place is called Succoth. Then Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, where he came from Padan, Aram, and he pitched his tent before the city. And he, brought the parcel, he bought the parcel of land where he had pitched his tent from the children of Hamor, Shechem's father, for 100 pieces of money. Then he erected an altar there and called it El Elohi, Israel. What a change in the brother Esau. What hap- My question is, what happened to Esau? We don't hear any of the story that went on. Or we say we leave an angry Esau and we come back to an Esau who does nothing but want to protect his brother. He doesn't want anything that his brother has. I don't need, this. I don't need your stuff. I got plenty of stuff, he says. I don't need, he's not coveting after his brother's stuff. He doesn't desire all his brother's wealth. He's not here to try and take anything from his brother. He simply is there to make sure he makes the trip home safely. What happened? Did you ever ask that question? What happened to Esau? Because something occurred. We know that stuff happened with Jacob along the way, and some of it made him kind of hard and bitter, but some of it got him to be trusted, more trusted in God. But something happened here. Something has gone on. I put in your outline here at the end. Our attitudes towards people, such as friends, foes, other people, acquaintances such, our attitude towards people, places, situations, jobs, God, life in general, they are not born in, they're not born in us, they're not given to us, they're not conferred upon us, they're not born in, given to, or conferred upon us, we develop them with our thoughts, our meditations, and the words we speak. Sometimes we think that some of the attitudes we have about people, about places, is because I was born this way. Because I was given as my, my father thought this way, my mother thought this way, so therefore I think this way. We think sometimes we're born into it, sometimes we're given it, sometimes we think it was conferred upon us. Well, people have done me wrong. People have treated me in such a way, and it's just been kind of conferred upon, or imparted upon me. No, it's not. The attitudes that you have are attitudes that you develop. Esau could have very easily continued to develop the bad attitude he had before Jacob left. And that bad attitude probably went on for a little while. We don't know what all happened. When his father died, everything that was his father's came to who? Where was Jacob when his father died? He's gone. So it all came to? It all came to Esau. Every bit of it, all the wealth came to Esau. Because Jacob is gone. What did Jacob leave with when he left? He had a staff. Maybe some money in his pocket. He came back with a whole lot of stuff. Jacob got the blessing, got the birthright, but all the stuff his dad dad went to Esau. And it continued to balloon and to mushroom and to be blessed in the hands of Esau. And his attitude changed. He no longer saw his brother as his enemy. But that had to take some effort. 
He had to develop this in himself. It doesn't, a good attitude does, does not come to people. It is developed. You got you to gotta do some things with it. I wrote some scriptures down. They're not on your outline. If you want to write them down, you can. In Psalms 49 and verse 3, my mouth shall speak wisdom and the meditation of my heart shall give understanding. The wisdom of this verse is incredible. My mouth shall speak wisdom and the meditation of my heart shall give understanding. I want you to think about it. When you get upset, when, you, when a bad attitude starts to form, what are the words of your mouth? When a bad attitude begins to form, what are the meditations, what are the thoughts of your heart? Where do they go? When you resist the bad attitude, then what happens? When you say, oh, no, I'm going to keep a positive attitude about this, does that not have an effect on the words of your mouth and the meditation of your heart? The Word of God says, My mouth shall speak wisdom, and the meditation of my heart shall give understanding. If I corrupt both of those forms, I am stopping the path of help that will come from God. Because what I need to take care of my situations is first off wisdom and understanding. The path of wisdom is through the words that we speak. How about if our words are, I can't believe they did that to me. Oh, I can't believe that they, they gypped me in my pay. They gypped me. I can't believe that person said that about me. What, what are the words in my mouth doing? Are they speaking wisdom? No, they're not speaking wisdom. What are the meditations in my heart? Probably worse than what I'm saying with my mouth, right? <laughs> the meditation of my heart shall give understanding. If I apply my heart to stay with, uh, resist a bad attitude, but to stay with God, my heart will give me understanding on the matter. My wisdom will be spoken with my mouth. I've used this example before, but I, I loved it when they, were, when they were here. Jeff and Chris Hickson, when they were here, and they would talk about their job. And they would say, one of the things they would say, he told us over and over, every decision such and such a company made will benefit the Hicksons. Remember them saying that? Every decision will benefit the Hicksons. And they sometimes came on up and they said some of those decisions did not look like they would benefit the Hicksons. But we still got up every morning. And what were they doing? They were resisting the bad attitude. And every morning they would get up and they would encourage each other. You know what? Every decision such and such company makes will benefit the Hicksons. And before long... Even ones that looked like they weren't going to benefit them turned out to be great benefit for them, brought them great income, great help. Bad attitudes come in to try and corrupt the words of your mouth and the meditation of your heart because if they're able to do that, it's able to cut off the blessings of God. In Psalms chapter 104, 34, May my meditation be sweet to him. I will be glad in the Lord. Now, I will be glad in the Lord is based on my meditation be sweet. May my meditation be sweet in him. I will be glad in the Lord. The reason you're not glad in the Lord is because your meditation is bitter. Psalms 119 verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. How many times can we say that? Or how often is it my meditation all the day is how they stiffed me. How they said all manner of evil against me. Doesn't that try and take over the meditation of your heart? Mm -hmm. One more. Psalms 119, verse 99. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. 
the people that would teach him. He has more understanding than all of them because the testimonies of God, your testimonies are my meditation. Not meditation about how much things are going to pot. Not meditations about how the job market, the economy is going to pot. My meditation is of God. My meditation is not of friends and how they have let me down. My meditation is of God. If we will guard these things, guard our meditation, guard the words of our mouth, speak wisdom instead, speak the word of God, we can change it. What Esau must have done was to meditate on who God was and to understand that, God, you bless me because you desire to bless me because I'm a descendant of Abraham, not because I do something that is good. And God took the work of Esau's hand and blessed him so much that when this huge gift came to him, he said, I don't need it. I don't even need that. I got so much stuff as it is. Take it back. Oh, but I got so much stuff, I don't need it either. You take it. But really, I have so much stuff, I, I don't need it. You take it. No, 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 no. I meant it for you. I want you to have it. <laughs> wow. That's some people who changed their thinking. You want to give God something to work with, you cannot give him something to work with when you have a bad attitude. When you have how much God has let you down, how much God has gypped you, how much other Christians have hurt you, how much other family members have done this, you have got to stand guard against that meditation and those words coming out of your mouth. And the words that come out of your mouth need to be wisdom. They need to be the word of God. They need to be, my God is blessing me every place that I go. Wherever I go, my God is blessing me. My God is helping me. Speak wisdom. Speak meditations, good meditations. Let the meditation of your heart be overwhelmingly good. And the words of your mouth will change. When you change the thoughts of your heart, the meditations of your mouth, you guard against the bad attitude. You guard against that bad attitude. Your situation can change because you are giving God something to work with. Too often, we do exactly what we point at Israel and laugh at them and say, why did they do such things? Look at how they kept complaining to God. And God just wanted to come through and help them, but they kept complaining to God and grumbling to God and grumbling to Moses. Oh, if they only got it right. And then what do we do the next day? Can't believe my boss did that. Oh, I get so mad when they do stuff like that to me. We're not learning the lesson. Guard against the bad attitude. It is in a good attitude that God can work. It's when the words of your mouth speak wisdom and the meditation of your heart brings understanding. Meditation needs to be sweet before God. When your meditation begins to get sour, how many, this, this week, don't raise your hand, but just this week, you had sour meditations that came in about somebody in your life. Check it out. I'm not going to think on that. No, I don't need to be bothered with that. Because the devil knows if he, can put you, if he can pull you into this kind of sour meditation, he can affect your finances. He can affect what you do for God. He can affect your understanding you get from Scripture. He can affect your relationships that are around you. He can affect the favor that you have with God and man. He can affect all these things. When we allow a bad attitude in our life, we not only cut off God, 
we are actually giving the devil something to work with. And why in the world do you want to give the devil anything to work with? Give God something to work with. Be on guard against that attitude. You want to look into this some more? Go back into the Old Testament and take a look at a couple of people. Caleb, Joshua. When the rest of the people had a bad attitude, what were they doing? We can overcome. What's wrong with you both? We, we can overcome. Joseph, when he was sold into slavery, put into prison, what's his attitude? My God's going to bless me. My God's going to take my, I had this dream. God's going to do this for me. When Daniel's taken captive, what's his meditation? <laughs> God's going to bless us. We're going to still be faithful to God because God didn't do this to us and God is going to bless us here in this land. What did God do? Blessed him right there in that land. Jonah, what happened to his attitude? Things were going along so well with him and the ministry that he had with God and all of a sudden God said to do this and he had a bad attitude about it. Elijah, things are going great. He is transforming an entire nation and all of a sudden somebody says something. He gets a bad attitude about God. And when he gets out there to the cave, remember he calls, God calls him out and he says, what are you doing here, Elijah? I have been very zealous for the Lord. And he says it several times, doesn't he? The whole speech. He, why does he say it a couple of times? Because he had meditated on it. He's been thinking about this. He's been, I've been faithful to God. And this is how God repays me? Is that good meditation? No. And it doesn't bring you understanding. And it doesn't bring you wisdom. But you can get there. Develop the good attitude. Maintain that good attitude. And don't let a bad attitude, people, places, situations, jobs, God, anything like that. Don't let it come in. Because if you let it come in, you are giving the devil something to work with. Boy, there ought to be something in Scripture that says something about don't let the devil come and get you. Oh, wait a minute, it does. Fancy that. Look at that, it does. The devil goes about like a roaring lion seeking what? I'll reword this for you. Seeking those who give him something to work with. Don't be one of those. Would you stand up with me? We were singing that song here at the end. That song we were singing before Naz came up, probably the second to the last song. We put those words back up there on the screen. The chorus went like this. I know that you are for me. I know that you are for me. I know that you will never forsake me in my weakness. I know that you have come now, even if to write upon my heart, to remind me, who you are. Don't just sing the words. Know what it means. This is what God does. God is change, will change our attitude in every situation that we face. If your situation is going down, 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 then probably, not always, but probably, you have let a wrong attitude creep in and you're not chasing it out. And stop blaming the people that are around you. Because there's only one person who lets a bad attitude in. It's me. No one else does it. Esau's problem was not Jacob. Esau's problem was Esau. When Esau finally dealt with Esau, Esau became blessed and happy and glad. And no one was his problem. What a change. What a phenomenal change. God can change our lives too. He can change whatever situation that we face. He can change it overnight. Joseph did go down, down, down. 
But he kept his attitude. And God brought him up. Look at his split. Man, he was up there fast. Don't ever lose patience with God. Father, we thank you for the help that you give us. That every situation that we are in, no matter how bad it may look, no matter how much despair is all around us, fear and dismay may be knocking at the door. But we don't have to give in to it. All we need to do is go before you and not beg and plead, but simply put you in remembrance of what your word said. You said this about me, God. You said about it in your word. You spoke this to me. I heard this from you. We just need to put you in remembrance and say, I believe in what you said, not in what is going on. Just as you did with Jacob, you do with us. You can turn a nasty-looking situation into one of the best experiences of his life. Thank you, Father, for the help that you give us. We have situations we need to turn. We need to change. We need to bring about. Your word helps us to get there with it. Thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.